Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. Today, we take a bite of the Big Apple by going to one of the uh, great columnists in New York. He is Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. You know, it dawns on me, Mike, between yourself, Steve Serby, Mark Cannizzaro, and now Ian O'Connor has joined the Post. I mean, you guys are like the Mount Rushmore of columnists. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do think they were stoic and stone-like, so I think that you absolutely have that part of it right. Yeah. I mean, four four guys that have great reputations, very versatile, and you know it's it's a great read to say the least. Let me ask you this: If either the Giants or the Jets win a Super Bowl, if either the Mets or the Yankees win a World Series, if the Rangers win a Stanley Cup, or if the Knicks win the NBA title, which of those feats would make the loudest noise in New York City? I'm going to go with the Knicks, Howard, um, which sounds funny because they kind of you know, laid in repose for the last 20 years. But, uh, you know, I remember what it was like in the 90s. I think people tell me what it was like in the 70s. Um, you know, all due respect to the Mets, they're the one team in New York that people get around. I mean, you have a, a lot of split loyalties in football and baseball. Maybe you'll get there in basketball someday, but I don't, I don't think you're there yet. I think the Mets are more of a national team. In a New York team, even in their own borough. I mean, I think the Knicks are probably a two to one fan favorite in Brooklyn. Um, so I think we, you know, if the Knicks were ever to do it, especially because of the affinity New York City has for basketball, how much it cares for basketball, um, how much it gets behind the Knicks, how much the guard makes a difference when they play big games there, and when, you know, full capacity people are allowed inside the building. All those factors together, I think, uh, like any of those things that you talked about with, uh, Certainly, the welcome changes the pace from what we've had lately. But, uh, but uh, I do think that the Knicks, if you're talking about one team winning one championship, uh, it would probably be the Knicks, especially now because you're talking about a drought that's you know, about to reach uh, 48 years. I can't say that I disagree. Uh, look, they, they rebound from the loss to Phoenix with a win over Chicago without Zach Levine. I mean, this was uh, the, the right opponent for them to play after losing to Phoenix and breaking that long winning streak. Uh, but coming up, and this is where the real test is going to be, coming up, they've got a road trip that begins with a, certainly a winnable game against a team with the worst record in the league, Houston. But then they play Memphis, and John Morant's playing at a very high level now. Denver, even without Jamal Murray. Phoenix, who recently beat the Knicks. The two L.A. teams. And I think you might see LeBron James when the Knicks go out there to play them next week. Uh, This is going to be a true test uh, of how they can compete against some of the better teams in the league. Yeah, I think they've been looking to this trip uh, all year. I think maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, was with the hope that maybe you could survive and get into a play-in. But 
you know, those ambitions have kind of grown now. I mean, they're all alone with the number four seed in the East. Um, so, I mean, they actually do have ambitions of actually making these playoffs proper without having to worry about the playing game. Um, but it's such a crowded field. Um, you know, you're talking about some pretty accomplished teams that are right there with them. I mean, the Celtics and the Heat went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Right now, they're both behind the Knicks. And so they're both kind of you know, jostling for position if the Knicks lose a couple of games in a row. It's why the Sunday game, which is the, the leadoff game to this trip, is so important, Howard. I mean, look, you, can't, you just can't lose to the Rockets. You can't lose them anyway because you're better than them. You can't lose them because you already beat them by 20 points pretty handily at the Garden. But you really can't afford to lose to them given what's coming after that, after that on the trip. Um, I'm not saying that you can kind of you know, coast if you win a game against the Rockets in Houston, but at the very least, it gives you a little bit of a launching pad. And, look, I mean, if you're looking at it realistically, I mean, how many games can the Knicks win beyond that Houston game on the trip, the five games remaining? One, two? I mean, I think two is actually a stretch. You know, maybe they show up in Denver and Jokic is taking a maintenance day. Who knows? <laughs> um, and who knows what you're going to what assortment of Clippers and Lakers you're going to get when you play those teams. But um, you, you have to assume those are going to be difficult games. You have to assume the Suns game in Phoenix is going to be a difficult game. Um, and the Denver game is going to be, you know, damn near impossible. And Memphis, look, Memphis, Memphis is still stinging. I mean, the, the Knicks had that nine-game winning streak, and it began with an incredible comeback from the Garden against the Grizzlies. Again, they had no business winning, and they won that game. And, you know, the, the Grizzlies need to win every game, too. They're currently in the eighth slot. In the, in the West, uh, you know, they can't afford to let winnable games go away either. So, uh, look, it's, you know, Tom Thibodeau knows what, uh, what, what his team is in for. He talked about how it's a playoff game every night because no matter where you look, it's an important game for somebody. And uh, you're not sure what you're going to get here the next couple of, the, the, the next, uh, you know, 10 days or so, starting with that Sunday game against, uh, against the Rockets. But, you know, all that said, I mean, this sure beats what the Knicks fans have, have endured mostly, in, you know, the last 10 games of the year, you know, pretty much the last 20 years, where those games are meaningless for everyone, specifically the Knicks. So uh, to have games you can actually fret over is actually a nice uh, a nice change of pace, I think. He is New York Post columnist Mike Vaccaro. Uh, I mean, you go back to the last time they make the playoffs in 2013. Uh, that's when Mike Woodson was coaching the team. They won 54 games. Uh, he was there the next year. They bring in Phil Jackson. For whatever the reason, I to this day, I don't understand. If you wanted to bring him in as a coach, fine, I understand that. But to bring him in as a president of the team where he's never had that experience in dealing with player personnel, etc., or dealing with agents, uh, look, I think the Knicks were set back five years because of Phil Jackson's re- regime. So having said that, here they are in a position uh, certainly to win. They've won more games already probably since that – 2013 team so that they've accomplished something and they will be in the postseason in some form so that's an accomplishment and when you're going well as they are right now you also get a little lucky and I'll I'll point to two games the game against Atlanta at the Garden where Trey Young got injured in the third quarter and the Hawks were up seven and then the 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 luckiest of all is when they're up when they're down three to the Pelicans and they got the ball after a timeout with 7.8 seconds left. And Derrick Rose drives down the lane. And Lonzo Ball's got three choices. Foul Rose, let him lay it in because you're still up by a point. 
or guard your man in the corner, Bullock. And the choices he made, he made, as Stan Van Gundy said in the postgame, he made a high school mistake by leaving the shooter wide open. So he makes the three, good for Bullock, he made it. But then they win the game in overtime. So some things have fallen into place for the Knicks. To their credit, they've made their own breaks. And they're probably playing as good a defensive game right now as anybody in the league. All that is true, Howard. And you're right. The Knicks have maximized the opportunities they've been given. You know, and even last night, you know, I mean, the, and, and look, I mean, the Bulls beat the Heat without Levine. So, I mean, all credit to the Bulls for that. And I think that probably is all, all Thibodeau needed for a little bit of motivation uh, to, to make sure his team wasn't flat last night. But, look, I mean, you're playing, you're playing a team without their best player. That's also a break. And like I said, I mean, that's kind of what I mean. I think maybe, you know, in today's NBA, you just, you just never know what the landscape looks like. So it's very possible. Like I said, they show up in Denver and, and a couple of guys are sitting down and it's not quite the task you thought it was going to be. And the same thing in L.A. Uh, but look, I mean, yeah, you, you, know, you get those opportunities, but you still got to maximize them. Mm. You know, Bullock still had to make that three in the corner. Um, they still had to finish off the Hawks, who to their credit, you know, after blowing that lead, then go falling behind, they forced overtime, but the Knicks blew them out in overtime. So, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, there's a there's a modicum of good fortune attached to that winning streak for sure. Uh, but uh, being able to take advantage of those breaks isn't something that the Knicks necessarily would have been able to do in years past. No, you're right. Um, and you mentioned the Celtics and the Heat, both who had outstanding seasons last year. The Celtics, to me, are a team that's beating themselves. They turn it over more than they should. They're sloppy with the ball, and they've cost themselves several games. Now, right now, they're still in the sixth spot. Miami uh, is, uh, they're in a dead heat, I should say, with Miami in the sixth spot. But I think that Miami has probably got more life in them to the, the final stretch than Boston does. I mean, we'll see what happens. But right now, the Knicks, I mean, they do control their own destiny with a tough schedule, etc. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But meanwhile, there's, there's three uh, premier teams in the East. It's Milwaukee, it's Philadelphia, and it's Brooklyn. And it doesn't matter, having done New Jersey Nets games, even when the Nets were good with Chuck Daly was coaching, didn't make any difference. The Knicks are still the team in New York City, uh, whether it's just basketball or, as you already outlined, maybe the most relevant team in New York, period. You know, that's a big from inroads because they reside in Brooklyn now. But I do think they're a little more relevant and they do resonate a little more than they did when they played New Jersey. Although I will say this, I do think that the New Jersey Nets fan base was a lot more rabid than the, whatever the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets fan base was. Um, but you're right. I mean, look, I mean, the, you know, the Nets, I mean, you, you, you referenced the daily years. I mean, this is a team that went to back-to-back finals in Jason Kidd's first two years here as a player. I mean, we're an electrifying team. I always thought, you know, if that team was playing with the guard, they'd be writing poems and songs and movies about them. Yeah. And they barely made a dent. And the, Nets, and, and the Knicks were just starting their great decline, so they were a terrible team in those years. And it really didn't matter. I mean, you know, the, the Nets would come to the guard, and there'd, there'd be a smattering of Nets fans there. And the Knicks would go visit the, the Nets in the Meadowlands, and it would be uh, like Madison Square Garden West. That's just the, that's just the nature of that sport. Um, you know, it's not really close to what it is in baseball or football in, in the city where... You know, looking at the Yankees and the Giants are the dominant team, but not by nearly as much as the Knicks are when it comes to the Nets. Agreed. Uh, you look at this Nets team, and, and, and Steve Nash didn't uh, couch his remarks 
James Harden, I think, is going to miss the rest of the regular season. Now, having said that, uh, I, I think they want to be really cautious with him. If he's healthy and Durant and Harden and the rest of the supporting cast, and it's a good supporting cast, uh, that's a team that I, I, it's, if they're all together, it's going to be hard-pressed to beat them four times in a series. I, I see them emerging out of the East, and, and I see them playing in the NBA Finals. If they're healthy, I agree with you, Howard. I do, because but you, like you said, I mean, you know, at full strength, there's, it's, it's almost impossible for any other team, certainly in the East, to match up with them. Now, look, I mean, you know, theoretically, if they face the Lakers in the Finals, we'll just say the Lakers because they have, you know, obviously you know, two of the four best players on the planet on their team. Uh, who knows how healthy they would be, but they would be on the team. They won the championship last year, so you so have that. Um, you know, that would be interesting. And, and certainly the Clippers are uh, a formidable enough team to where you would think that would be a fun series also. Uh, Kawhi, by, you know, by himself, would make certain that it's a, that it's a series. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all contingent upon what the Nets look like when the playoffs start. Um, you know, and, and they've been fine when they've been missing you know, even two-thirds of that big three. I mean, they still they still beat they still beat teams right um, and, and and I suppose that says something to their you know, to their DNA as, 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 a, as a winning operation right now but um, look I mean when those when those three guys are playing together and they're playing well and they're, and they're playing unencumbered uh, it's really I, I, I can't see you know, the one team that I can see possibly giving them fits is the Sixers only because they're such a good defensive team but uh, I just don't think that the yeah, the Sixers have enough firepower to match up you know i just think that you know, you're not going to win a lot of 130 to 125 games in the playoffs but you know i still think that even even on a good defensive playoff night the nets have enough to get to 100 105 110 and most nights in the playoffs that's plenty if people point to the one achilles heel of the nets they question their defense uh and i i can't disagree with that however kevin durant is an underrated defensive player he he is a he's a shot blocker. He can clear the the glass. Uh, I think that uh, that when we have a healthy Kevin Durant, you got a complete player, not just an offensive minded player. Uh, Kyrie Irving, when they made the trade for Harden, Mike, I I got to tell you, my one question was Kyrie Irving because he had problems in Cleveland. He clearly had problems in Boston in the locker room, and they they got through a party when he left. Uh, I, I think he was the one question mark. I never questioned Kevin Durant because he's the guy who stood up for Steve Nash when they, when they came to him and said, we're thinking about naming Steve Nash the head coach, and he signed on. Your best player signs on. There's no more debate, right? Uh, no, yeah, no, no, no doubt. I mean, that was the biggest uh, uh, momentum building that Nash had is that he had a great relationship with Durant. And, and Durant is their best player, even though he's played you know, so few games. The thing about Kyrie, you know, look, I mean, obviously you take a lot of extra stuff with Kyrie when you have him on your team, but he's also a guy when you just watch him play every night. He brings such joy to those of us who really enjoy basketball. I mean, he, he plays with just a unique brand of the game that's, like, I mean, forget the other stuff. Just from, from a basketball standpoint, watching him, watching his handle, watching the way he's able to you know, stop on a dime and, and just effortlessly drain 15-footers, 20-footers, 25-footers. There might never have been a more coordinated athlete that I've ever seen. He's just a joy to watch. So if you can factor out the other stuff and you just look at him as a player, 
And if he's available to you for 35 minutes a night, uh, there's nothing bad about that. I get it. You know, you mentioned the Cleveland stuff, the Boston stuff, and that's a problem. And maybe that'll be a problem eventually in Brooklyn. Um, they kind of fostered an environment in Brooklyn where they're trying to minimize whatever his distractions are. Uh, they've done a pretty good job at that, even though I think it's frustrating some people to see how much they bent over backwards to accommodate him sometimes. But look, the, the end result is you have a happy player, and when you have a happy player, uh, that player is, is really something special to watch. The New York Post, Mike Vaccaro, taking a bite of the Big Apple with yours truly, Howard David. Tonight's a big night. It's the NFL draft. And as you well know, whether it's the NFL draft or the NBA draft, it turns into a crapshoot. There have been a lot of, there's been as many misses as hits in the history of the NFL, particularly early in the first round, particularly at the quarterback position. And here are the Jets going to draft, likely going to draft Zach Wilson from BYU. Um, they, they had Sam Darnold go. They traded him away to Carolina. Uh, there's a divide amongst your co-workers in the, uh, in the community. Uh, half of them say they should have kept Sam Darnold. Half of them said they should have traded him away. I spoke to Bill Parcells about it. Who knows a thing or two about football? And he said he likes Sam Darnold. But he says, in clear conscience, he probably needs a change of scenery. And he said this like a month ago. Uh, and I believed him then, and I believe him now. Yeah, I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, I do think that he's got the tools to be a very good player. I do. I mean, I thought you saw some, some, some signs with him with the Jets. Uh, where he was actually very, uh, you know, he, he actually showed some signs of being a professional quarterback. But uh, you talk about baggage. I mean, so much has been accumulated through the years, not all, you know, entirely of his own doing, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's enough of a problem to where a uh, change of scenery is the right, uh, the right way to put it. He desperately needed that, I think. Um, I, I realize the different coaching staff in New York, plus the same fan base, the same stadium, it's the same – you know, Vortex that's kind of swallowed guys like him whole for 50 years. Um, if he's going to succeed in the league, I think he needed to be elsewhere. And really, else, you can't get more elsewhere uh, in the NFL than the North Carolina probably. So I think he probably found a fairly good landing spot. I mean, we're gonna, we, we know Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick of Jacksonville. Likely Wilson will be the number two pick. But after that, there's uncertainty with uh, San Francisco picking third. Uh, it seems like they're going to take a quarterback. The question is who. Uh, but having said that, you look across MetLife Stadium where the Giants reside, and they're the last franchise in New York that's won a championship. Uh, when Eli Manning was quarterbacking, they won a couple of Super Bowls. So here are the, here are the Giants who, uh, during the offseason, picked up Galladay to help their receiving core, which was already okay. It just got better. And yet there's talk they may draft another receiver at number 11 if one of the Alabama receivers is available or the LSU receiver. Uh, if Jamar's there, uh, who knows what they'll do. I know one thing, Kyle Pitts is not going to be there. He's going to be gobbled up by Atlanta, I believe, at number four. But here are the Giants, I think, and I'd love to hear your opinion. Daniel Jones is now going to be outfitted with a better supporting cast in terms of receivers and he gets Saquon Barkley back in addition to that. Is this, in your mind, a, a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones? Um, I think it's an important year. I really do. Um, I'm, 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 I'm a little more wait and see as to what exactly the Giants have built 
uh, on a whole under Dave Gettleman this year. Um, you know, so far so good with free agency. And, you know, I, I, do, I do sort of trust him more than I think others do in the draft. Um, and if they do have one of those Alabama receivers, man, it's going to be dynamic to watch uh, that offense play. Um, so, you know, I, I do think it's an important year. Is it make or break? I mean, look, I think it's make or break if he, if he has a terrible year. I think if he, got, if he, if he has a passable year, I mean, there are a lot. Of, there are a lot of people who put the Giants at a playoff or else mandate. I'm not so sure that I agree with that. I mean, I don't think they're as good as Dallas when Dallas is a full strength in their own division. And I just think that's the kind of a division that's going to their second place is going to be eight, eight or seven and nine. So I mean, it's going to be hard to get in by the wild card. Redo my math for 17 games, but you know what I mean. Um, and and uh, you know, so I, but 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 if, if, he's, if he has a if he, if he has a, a passable year. In a year where the Giants are, are improved, they don't like the playoffs. I don't think it necessarily is make or break. But of course, then you know you have to start talking about whether they're going to commit to them long term, and that's where it becomes make or break. And I think that that's the really the, you know, the, you know, the question. I think the Giants need to have an inkling uh, by the time these 17 games are done this year uh, that he's their quarterback for the next 10 years, the next 10 months. Yeah. And it's a huge question that you have to answer when you're talking about your quarterback because he's automatically, if you commit to him, going to you know, just chew up so much of your of your salary cap. Well, particularly when you have a division that's winnable. I mean, yeah, Dak Prescott has been extended by the Cowboys. Probably should have done it two years ago, but uh, they have re- brought back Prescott, and he makes the Cowboys instantly better than they were last year when he was injured. Washington's got an excellent defense, but we really don't know how much offense they're going to be able to put together, and Philadelphia is a question mark. So the bottom line is that the NFC East is there for the taking. I don't know if you heard me, Mike, but I said the that's all right. The I said the NFC East, frankly, is there for the taking. Well, it definitely is. I mean, look, it's definitely winnable, and I think the Giants are going to be right there. Um, I mean, look, they're right there last year. I mean, and again, you know, make. You need to go back and make some more jokes about how terrible the NFC East was. The fact is that it was there for the taking in Week 17, and if uh, the Eagles play that game differently, maybe we're talking it, having a different conversation about, about what kind of year the Giants are coming off from. But uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely there for the taking. I mean, there's there's no team that that you know, strikes you as being impossible to to uh, unseat. And so I think from that standpoint, you know, Giants fans have to be very excited, and you have to be excited about about, about, about what, Jay, what what Jones can do. I mean, you've seen enough of the positives from Daniel Jones to be excited. The problem is you've seen enough of the negatives to you know, kind of be wary. And, you know, you have to make sure that this is a guy who's solving turnover problems. It looks like he did last year, um, but, uh, you know, he wasn't uh, he wasn't uh, 100% reliable. And uh, I think that's what you're going to be looking for at the end of, of this year is to see how you feel about where he is as a franchise quarterback. Before we go, Mike, let's talk about the two baseball teams in town. The Yankees uh... – Finally, it started to put some things together. The bats came alive certainly yesterday, and they got a nice performance by Herman on the mound. Uh, but this is a team, and just to put things in perspective, I had Dale Murphy on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the one thing he didn't like about the Yankees was it's hit or miss. Uh, a lot of strikeouts from their sluggards to either home runs or strikeouts. Uh, and then you've got the question mark about, I mean, Aaron Judge, can he stay healthy? Uh, and he, he, he hits a home run, something that happens with his upper body. He's out now for a game, maybe more. You got Stanton, who, who's had a couple of home runs lately. But, again, it's a hit or miss. 
And more importantly, is the situation behind the plate with Gary Sanchez in Hiroshioka. Uh, they keep hoping for Gary Sanchez to be returned to what he was two, three years ago. And it's just not happening. I think his confidence is shot. And I think they made the right move by making that more of a, of a uh, democratic uh, job right now because, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when the backups are past the starter, I mean, I think sometimes you have to make hard choices, and I think the Yankees have done that. Um, and, and look, I mean, it's, you know, the thing, that's, the thing that worries the Yankees, even, you know, I mean, it shows you that the Yankees are the same as anybody else. You know, the biggest fear the Yankees have is that uh, they'll give up on, on Sanchez and they'll show up in Tampa you know, wind up in 50 home runs, you know, carry them against them. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but, I mean, that's, that's, that, that is what, that's what's driven them the last couple of years, you know, and also just hoping they can unlock, you know, what, he, what he's shown. Um, but, uh, look, I mean, I think the Yankees are going to be fine because we've seen the last week the American League isn't very good. They at least are stronger than we thought. I mean, you know, the Red Sox are a little surprising, obviously, and, I think, the, I think the Blue Jays and, the, and, and, the, and then the Rays are going to give the Yankees a handful. But, I mean, I think, I think, I think you know, those four teams by, you know, are, are on their own island. Then you look at the rest of the league. And, you know, the Yankees and the, and the other teams in that division, too, get to play an awful lot of games against an awful lot of, you know, middling, mediocre. I mean, a lot of games against the AL Central, which is not a very good division. Uh, all due respect to the Royals, who have been playing well, you know, pretty well. But, uh, you know, and I think that's where you're going to wind up feasting, you know, not just the Yankees, but the other teams. And look, I think once the Yankees start feasting and once they start getting their confidence, I mean, you know, you're talking about a team that's probably going to look a lot different in June and July than they do right now. Yeah, I would agree. And when it comes to the Mets, I mean, we're seeing the rebirth of Nolan Ryan, the way Jacob deGrom is pitching. He's setting all kinds of records with his strikeouts, but he got zero run support yesterday. He loses one nothing. I mean, his earned run average, it's, what is it, 0.5? I mean, it's ridiculous how efficient this guy is and how last night he, he kind of laid away from his fastball a little bit, went more to breaking pitches, and they still couldn't figure him out. But you got to score in this league, and they've not done much of that. And it's worrisome because everybody, you know, really with a couple of exceptions, I mean, Nemo's had a pretty good start, but everyone else has really kind of been just scuffling terribly. I mean, you know, Lindor's the one who's hearing the booze now, but that's because he's the new guy and he's got a big contract. Conforto's hurt some booze. Um, you know, McNeil is a guy that's probably the last guy the Mets fans are ever going to boo because they love his spiciness and his grittiness. But, you know, when you hit the buck 70, I mean, you're going to eventually hear it from somebody. Uh, you know, probably the guy who's happiest that Francisco Lindor's on the Mets is James McCann because he's been very quiet offensively. I mean, this is a lineup when you look at it, it should be pretty formidable. And yet, you know, the last two days against the Red Sox, we weren't exactly throwing, you know, Tiant and Jim Lombard at them. Um, they scored, you know, a total of one run in two games. And that's just not going to get it done anyway. And uh, look, I mean, you know, it, it's become kind of a, a regular narrative of being unable to score runs for, for DeGrom. And he handles that as well as professionally as any, as any player could possibly handle it. But it's not just a DeGrom thing you have to worry about. People keep worrying about the DeGrom's going to snap on you and he's so mad. I don't think people like DeGrom, but it becomes soul-sucking for the team when your best player, you know, is just so uh, un... Uh, you know, they're, 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 there's, there's so little backup for him. Um, you know, and it's funny. I mean, the games he's won, he's actually had that you know, contributor to that, too, which is the way it's supposed to be. I mean, it's not supposed to be Little League in the National League. 
Um, you know, the telling stat for DeGrom right now is giving up two earned runs and he's got two losses. Hmm. In both games that he's given up a run, he's lost. And, um, you know, that's just, that's not a way to keep a team strong, healthy, and mentally viable over the, court, over the long haul. Hey, you've been around this city long enough to know that playing in New York doesn't suit everybody. And I'm not saying that Francisco Lindor is, is just going to be a bust this year, not at all. I think he's going to have to take time to get adjusted to it, which he's going through right now. He's too good of a player uh, to, to not produce at some point. But i got to tell you, I mean, I'll go back to when I was in high school in New York, and we played the champions, the city championship game at Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium. Mike, i got to tell you, when I walked out on that field, I was scared. <laughs> oh, my, I'm telling you. It's an intimidating place to play, particularly if you're not used to it. Yeah, you know, he played, he played in, 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 in comfort, the American League Central, you know, in a, in a city that adored him in a, in a division that wasn't exactly, uh, you know, the highest powered, you know, top to bottom division playing all kinds of games against those teams. So it's a lot different than all of a sudden, you know, every game is against the Red Sox, every game is against the Phillies, every game is against the Braves. And in New York, every game, you know, matters to a degree that it just doesn't matter in Cleveland, I think. Uh, this becomes the response from the fans, so. I, I, I too think it'll be fine. I think it's encouraging that as, as much as he's scuffled offensively, that defensively he's still, you know, he's still a terrific player. He makes he makes at least one or two plays every day that you realize, my gosh, that's a that, that's what you know, elite shortstop play looks like, and that helps. And that's certainly something that I think the pitchers appreciate, you know, regardless of what kind of a, of a struggle it is from the plate right now. I do think the, the offense will come around. But uh, it's, probably, yeah, it's probably not the worst thing in the world, and this isn't the first time this has happened to a New York team. It's probably not the worst thing in the world, but that's going on the road for a week now. Just get away from, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it can be kind of a negative pressure cooker to when you're not playing well in City Field or Yankee Stadium or the Meadowlands or in the Garden. Uh, maybe not the worst thing in the world to go on the road for a couple of days. Yeah, there's no question. It's... Um... It's going to be interesting how it all unfolds. But the one good thing and, and, and keeps you jumping is that you have a lot of relevancy to the New York teams. That's all you ask for. Just give you something to write. You know, I mean, we, we, uh, we've, had, we've had a pretty strong, rough stretch here the last couple of years, as you know, Howard. Um, you know, even the Yankees who make the playoffs every year have kind of underachieved, you know, within the context of those expectations. So it's uh, it's good to have a batch of teams to, to, to choose from that uh, – you know, all that talking points. Even the Nets, who really, you know, they, 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 they kind of feel like there's a disconnect between them and the city, but uh, they do play in Brooklyn, so they are ours, and it, 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 it is interesting to watch them certainly play every day, the same way it is with the other teams we talked about. Yeah, well, got about 10 games left in the regular season, and then the fun begins, and we don't know how all this is going to turn out because every team in both the East and the West are so tightly bunched after the first three uh, that it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Mike, always appreciate your insight. And you stay safe. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. Great talking to you as always. He is Mike Vaccaro.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.